This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. It's so good to see you this morning. So good to see you. I hope you've had a good weekend so far. I don't know what a good Saturday looks like for you. But for me, over the years, what constitutes a good Saturday has changed. So when I was a little girl, Saturday tea time, a good Saturday tea time, involved three things. It involved crumpets, the A-team, and the Incredible Hulk. Does anyone remember Saturday Night TV before reality television kind of took over? It was good, wasn't it? It was good. And um, a good Saturday morning, when I was about nine years old... A good Saturday morning was after I was up and dressed and had my breakfast and cleaned my teeth, the first thing I would do is tidy the living room and clean the living room. I would then walk up, yes, I was nine years old, I would walk up to the corner shop, I would buy some penny sweets and the latest edition of the Beano, and then I would walk home, I would sit in my lovely tidy lounge, well, it was my parents, but I'd tidied it so I felt like I had some ownership here. I'd sit in a lovely tidy lounge, I would eat my sweets and I would read the Beano and that was a good Saturday morning. And um, on reflection, I don't know what's more remarkable, that I was allowed to walk to the corner shop on my own, which wasn't on the corner and it wasn't on any corner actually, we just called it the corner shop, or that I voluntarily tidied the lounge when I was nine years old. That is remarkable, isn't it? Please, yeah? Weird, I said remarkable. Remarkable. And um, I think it was voluntary, but then I'm thinking, how did I have money to buy sweets if I'd not done something to earn that money? I don't know, but that was a good Saturday morning for me. And um, a good Saturday morning for us now, we've got two daughters in primary school, so a good Saturday morning means taking them to their dance lesson, and it means getting through the weekly homework and the weekly hair wash with no battles and no tears. And um, our, our four-year-old and our seven-year-old, every week they have homework. And um, but they don't, it's not called homework, and yet we all know that it's homework. It's in the, it comes in the form of a learning journal. And it's this large book with these blank canvas pages. And um, what happens every week is that they get a little topic on a little piece of paper that's glued in the middle of these two blank canvas pages. And the idea is that you can be as creative as you want. And um, my experience is that the creativity goes downhill from September. And um, you can be, perhaps it's colouring, writing, sticking, drawing, uh, a poem, some research from the internet. And as creative as you want to be on these two big blank canvas pages. And what we normally do when we get the topic that's either linked to the time of year. So last year it said Easter. This week, uh, last week it said Easter. This week it said spring. Uh, sometimes it's linked to the topic that they're learning in class. And so what we normally do is we go to our good friend Google and he normally sends us to our good friend Wiki to find out some things about this topic that we've got. But just about a month or so ago, I opened the learning journal. I saw the intimidating blank canvas pages. And um, the topic, the two words that were stuck in the center of the page took me by surprise. Because they weren't linked to the time of year. And they weren't linked to what they were learning in the classroom. And what the two words in the center of the page simply said were this. Love is. Now, on this week, we didn't turn to Google and we didn't turn to Wiki. You see, there are many voices that seek to define what love is. 
whether it's Hollywood's latest blockbuster, whether it's the people around us, whether it's romance novels, whether it's Disney, whether it's what we see on social media, there are many voices that seek to define what love is. And these voices aren't necessarily wrong all of the time, but where they're right, they're just a small piece of the puzzle. And if we're going to understand what love is, then we need to look to the one who is love, to the one who created love, to the one who doesn't keep his love to himself, but generously pours it out on all of humanity. And when we do that, we realize, we see this love in its truest, purest, godlike form. We realize that this love, it is a legacy of our faith. It's a legacy of our faith that has been passed on to us and that we now have the honor and the privilege and the responsibility to carry and to pass on. We see this legacy of love throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We see it in the birth of the early church throughout the gospels and the letters recorded in the New Testament. We see it in church history and we see it in the lives of countless Jesus followers over the last 2,000 years. So what is this legacy of our faith like? What is this love like? When we look to the Bible, we find this beautiful Hebrew word that is used to describe the love that God has for humanity and that he shows in relationship with his people. And it's recorded about 250 times in the Old Testament. And this Hebrew word is hesed. And it is so deep and rich in meaning that it is difficult to translate into English because we have no direct word equivalent. And so when we see it throughout the Old Testament, it's translated into different English words to try and help us to understand the expansiveness of this love, hesed, this love that God has for humanity and that he shows in relationship with his people. And so this love, hesed, can be understood as the steadfast and undeserved kindness of God. The steadfast and undeserved kindness of God. You see, the love of God, the love he has for you, is steadfast. Steadfast may not be a word that is part of your regular vocabulary. But according to the Oxford English Dictionary, steadfast is described as resolutely firm and unwavering. The love that God has for you is unwavering. It is enduring. It is persistent. It is loyal. It is faithful. The Apostle Paul writes of it that love always protects, that love always trusts, that love always hopes, that it always perseveres, and that love never fails. The steadfast, unwavering love that God has for me and for you. An American writer, Ralph Davis, describes it as this. Not merely love, but loyal love. Not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. 
Not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. Steadfast and unwavering. The author of Lamentations, this small book that we find in the Old Testament, he writes with passionate sorrow and grief of what he's observed of the people of God, of what he has seen the people of God go through as they've been forced into exile in Babylon. He writes of the grief and the sorrow and the violence and the evil and the injustice. And he writes three chapters of this, this deeply passionate sorrow and grief. And then in chapter three, he says this, He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He says, but this, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. As he looks at the devastation, as he looks at the horror, as he mourns and he grieves over what the people of God are going through, He says, but this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This steadfast love of God, it never ceases. Despite the sorrow, despite the grief and the suffering, despite the horror and the violence, despite what is going on around me, I find hope because the steadfast love of God never ceases. It never runs out. Perhaps you can associate in some small way with that emotion when you turn the news on and you see another attack of terror and violence, when you see more injustice. My soul is bowed down within me. This is not right. And yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of God, the love that he has for you and for me, for humanity and creation, it never ceases. It is unwavering. And yet there seems to be a prevailing attitude within our culture that devalues steadfastness. You see, things rarely these days are created to last, whether it's a building or a vehicle or an appliance. The likelihood is that your phone in your pocket or your hand wasn't really created to last for more than two years because, uh, and we've become okay with that because we know that in a few years something bigger and better will be available or something faster and smaller. We live in this time of unprecedented change which is hugely exciting and yet comes with it a temptation for us to disregard the old. And yet the love that God has for humanity and that he shows in relationship with his people is both a present reality and as old as time itself and every moment in between. Because his love is steadfast. It endures. It is faithful. It is loyal. It never fails. It is unwavering. The steadfast love of God. And the love that God has for you and for I, is undeserved. In the time of Moses, God laid out clear guidelines for the relationship with his people, for his relationship with the people of God. The Bible describes it as a covenant. And we see these guidelines in the Ten Commandments in Exodus and the subsequent laws that follow. And as part of that 
covenant, as part of that agreement, as part of that promise, God promises blessing and favor. He promises his love. He promises his presence and his protection. He promises, it's recorded, to show hesed, to show this love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. He promises as part of this agreement, as part of this covenant, he promises his unfailing love to a thousand generations. And yet throughout the story of the people of God, there are times when they dishonor him, when they disobey him, when they don't hold up their end of the bargain, when they break their commitment with him and essentially forfeit the benefits of the covenant when they leave themselves no longer deserving of his blessing and his favor and his love. And yet continually what we see throughout the Old Testament is that God has compassion and that he has mercy, that although the people of God are undeserving, that, that, that God's love is unwavering that he continues to show compassion and mercy on his people. God makes a promise through the prophet Jeremiah, who some say was the one who wrote that book, Lamentations, that we've just talked about. God makes a a promise through this prophet. And he says, I will again have compassion. I will again have compassion and I will bring each of them back into their land, into their inheritance. As as Jeremiah is reflecting on the plight of God's people, forced into exile in Babylon, God says, I will again, despite their undeservingness, despite their dishonoring me, despite their disobedience, despite them not holding up their end of this bargain, because of who God is, I will again show compassion. I will again pour out my love. This undeserved love of God, perhaps we know it in the New Testament as grace. We see it throughout the Gospels and the letters as this word grace. And yet grace and mercy is not a new phenomenon for the New Testament. It is central and fundamental and foundational to the nature and the character of God. The author of Lamentations, as we talked about a moment ago, when he he says... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies, his undeserved love, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lois Tuverberg writes this. Hesed, this love that comes from God, persists beyond any sin or betrayal to mend brokenness, and graciously extend forgiveness. How grateful I am that that is the love that God has for his people. It persists beyond any sin or betrayal to mend brokenness and graciously extend forgiveness. The steadfast and the undeserved kindness of God that he has for you and for me. You see, sometimes this can be difficult for us to comprehend. It can be difficult for us to accept because so many social processes are based around getting what you deserve. They're based around working hard, about earning the grades, 
about earning the promotion, about earning the next sticker on the sticker chart. And these things in and of themselves aren't wrong. Hard work is admirable. And yet the temptation is that it can condition us to believe that the acceptance and the love of God is something that we should work hard for, that we should earn, that we should strive for, that we should somehow get ourselves to a place where we now deserve the love that comes from God. And yet this undeserved love he has for us, Paul makes very clear, is not to be earned, is not to be strived for. He's, when he says this in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace. It is by the mercy. It is by the undeserved kindness of God that you have been saved. Saved from the human condition and the separation with God that results. He says it again, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, not by your hard work and your earning or striving, not by getting to a place where you feel worthy and you feel deserving, he says, but by grace. And this, this whole thing is a gift of God, the undeserved, the steadfast kindness of God. And kindness, because whilst deeply passionate, this love goes beyond a feeling and is moved into action. It goes beyond a feeling and is moved into action. And we see this love in the person and the work of Jesus. Paul writes, but God demonstrates his love for us. God demonstrates, God puts on display. He illustrates, he makes clear what his love for us looks like. That whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still undeserving, as we still are, Christ died for us. John, the closest friend of Jesus in his old age, writes this. This is how we know what love is. This, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We see the undeserved, the steadfast kindness of God displayed in action. Displayed in sacrifice. And he goes on to help us to understand that this love that God has is not reserved just for God and people, but it should be evident amongst the people of God. It is a love that is to be expressed between humanity. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. That this love, this said. The steadfast and undeserved kindness of God should not just be something that we receive, but should be something that we express amongst each other. As we lay down our lives for each other, as we put other people before ourselves, as we elevate other people before ourselves, as we deny our rights in order to further the, somebody else, as we lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And we see this love we see it in the friendship between David and Jonathan, which is recorded in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. This love has said throughout the Old Testament, not just reserved for God 
and people, but to be evident between people, evident in humanity. And we see it in the life of David and Jonathan. David is anointed by the prophet of God to be the second king of Israel. The only problem is that the first king is still on the throne. He's not doing a good job, but he doesn't want to stop. And so it gets to the point where this king, Saul, is seeking to kill David out of anger and jealousy. He's seeking to kill David. But David has developed this strong brotherly friendship with the son of Saul, Jonathan. And in 1 Samuel, we see this conversation that David and Jonathan have. And it seems that Jonathan understands that things may not go so well for him and his family because his father is is seeking to kill the one that God has anointed to be king. And so David and Jonathan have this conversation and, and Jonathan says to him, But show me unfailing kindness. But show me hesed, this love that comes from God. Show me unfailing kindness so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your your kindness, your hesed from my family. And David and Jonathan have this conversation and they make this agreement. And David makes this covenant and this promise and this agreement to Jonathan that he will... Never cut off the kindness, the hesed of God to the family of Jonathan. And years later, after Saul and Jonathan have died in battle, David recalls this promise. David recalls this commitment to show this love, the steadfast and undeserved kindness of God to his friend Jonathan, to his family, to his memory. And so he says to his servant, is, is there anyone left Is there anyone that's left from the house of Saul, from Jonathan's line, that I may show God's kindness to? That I may show this kindness that comes from God that is to be evident in humanity? And the servant says yes. And so David welcomes into his home the son of Jonathan. The Bible describes him as lame in both feet. His name is Mephibosheth. David restores to Mephibosheth all of the land that belonged to the family of Saul and extends to him an, a permanent invitation to eat at the king's table. And in his conversation with Mephibosheth, he says this, I will surely show kindness. I will surely show hesed, steadfast and unfailing love that comes from God for the sake of your father, Jonathan. This love that God has for me and for you is is to be received by us. But that's not where it ends. It's to be expressed amongst his people. It's meant to be evident in humanity. Not only do I see this love has said, this love that God has for humanity throughout the Old Testament, in David and Samuel, in Ruth and Naomi. We see it in the grace that we read throughout the New Testament, but I see it in my lifetime today. I see the steadfast love of God in the, na- in the life of a man named David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was a middle-aged American who so compelled by the steadfast and undeserved kindness of God, took to the gang-owned streets of New York City in the 1950s to show this love that comes from God to broken teenagers. And as he did that, he was confronted 
by one of the gang leaders. So full of hate, so full of anger at David's message that he hit him and he spat at him and he threatened to kill him and he drew a knife on him. And David Wilkinson said, you can cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them on the street and yet every piece will still cry out, Jesus loves you. The steadfast love of God. And what that led to was gang members in New York City turning their guns and their knives in to the local police and accepting the love and the forgiveness of God and choosing to follow Jesus. That specific gang leader himself went on to lead thousands of people to become Jesus followers, to experience this love, the steadfast love that comes from God, that is to be evident between us in humanity. I see the undeserved love of God in the families of the victims who were murdered by a young man who opened fire. in a church in Charlestown, in my lifetime, the families who addressed the shooter with these words, we forgive you. The undeserved love of God Now I see the loving kindness of God in the life of a lady from Albania whose name was Antia, who gave her life to serve the broken and the needy of Calcutta, India. You may know her as Mother Teresa, who it is written at the end of her life had feet that were deformed because when shoes were donated to those who she was serving, she would rifle through the box and pick out the worst pair because she couldn't entertain the thought that one of the precious people that she was serving, that she was laying down her life for, that she was sacrificing for, would be left with the worst pair. The undeserved, the steadfast, loving kindness of God that is displayed in sacrifice. You know, I see Hesed, I see this love in the celebration of the couple marking 60 years of marriage. I see it in the friendship that endures despite disappointment. I see it in the dedication that we each show to the people of God despite the imperfections that we encounter. It's seen in the parent that sits up at night waiting for the teenager to come home safe. I said, the steadfast and undeserved kindness of God. This is a legacy 
of our faith. It's a legacy of our faith that has been passed down to us through the ages. And that we now have the opportunity not just to receive, but to express. As Jesus instructed his disciples on the night before he was crucified, he says, as I have loved you with this steadfast and undeserved kindness, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's by this that all people will know that you are my disciples, that you walk in my footsteps, that you imitate me. You see, when we love with the love that God loves us with, it shines a spotlight on the person and the work of Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the pioneer and the finisher of our faith. As we come to a close this morning, I would ask you just to close your eyes all across this room because I want us to take a moment. I want to take us a moment. I want us to take a moment to pause and to reflect and to receive and to encounter again this love, the steadfast, the undeserved kindness of God. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.